In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. Evening, morning, and noon. I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Well, welcome to this week's talk podcast. Uh, as we are just moving right along here in the season of Epiphany, uh, we'll be looking at the epistle reading for Epiphany 3, the third Sunday in Epiphany already. It's hard to imagine. Um, this is uh, uh, Vicar DeBoer here, and I am with Paul Heiser, our music director. Right, and we um, were a little bit off, and Pastor mentioned this in last week's podcast, that we missed the second Sunday after Epiphany because we moved, we moved Epiphany back, and that moved Baptism of Our Lord back a week, and so we missed those readings from Epiphany 2, which are, uh, I think those are typically about the wedding at Cana, so we didn't get, we didn't get that story. Um, but I think it's pretty familiar, you know, to most people. Um, uh, and I know it was referenced in, in the last hymn, uh, for sure. It was just a fleeting reference, but it certainly was in there. So we got a little bit of the wedding. wedding got a little bit in there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but right, this week we move on to, um, I think for the balance of this season, we're, we're in the book of Corinthians, correct? Uh, don't hold me to it, but I, yeah. I would imagine. So yeah, I haven't looked that far ahead yet. <laughs> um, so yeah, you know, as you say, we're uh, now in the book of uh, 1 Corinthians here. Um, the first, uh, first chapter, <laughs> excuse me. Um, um, and, uh, I think first, uh, let's see, try and think last week, would we have gotten the first part of this chapter? No, because we, we were observing a feast day. Mm. And so it was not, it was not out of Corinthians. Oh, okay. Okay. It was, um, it was out of Romans. Oh, it was out of Romans. Yeah. yeah. Since this is our first reading for this, uh, liturgical year now in uh, First Corinthians. I think first I just wanted to kind of, kind of quickly summarize kind of what's going on here and kind of the context of First Corinthians. Uh, a Corinth uh, was located. It was a major uh, trade center. Um, it was uh, in the in the ancient world, but like any other trade center, you know, if they thrived on trade, uh, Corinth had a reputation for um, you know for various issues, uh, sexual immorality, religious diversity, corruption, and so forth. Um, I guess um, the church that the Apostle Paul had uh, founded, it floundered under these influences and began to divide over various issues. Um, I guess, uh, you know, does, does any this sound familiar? Um, but now in this book of 1 Corinthians, Paul addresses practical qu uh, questions that are dividing the church. The congregation it was divided and struggling, you know, like you know, many of our congregations today, uh, they're uh, divided and struggling. Well, even, even on a larger scale, um, just among Christians. Mm -hmm. I mean, who would have, I think in the first century, if, if, if you had told them, well, you'll have all these dozens of different, different churches that call themselves Christian churches, well, they would probably we have a difficult time wrapping their mind around that. Yeah, you know, if if yeah. you're all followers of Christ, you'd think there would be more unity than, than there is. Right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but now we have these different 
you know, like, like we have what we know of it today. Yeah. Uh, Paul writes to encourage the Corinthian Christians to be unified in Christ. You know, all these things that had divided them, uh, that were dividing them, all these questions, be unified in Christ rather than uh, be torn apart by these things. You know, and that is what Paul addresses in the text for this week. Uh, and actually, uh, we'll get that right right off the bat here with this first verse. Paul, would you be able to read for us our text? Uh, uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 1, 10 through 18. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each, of, each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that none, no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Yeah, thank you. So uh, to start off in that uh, verse 10, um, kind of the need to restore the church's unity. This is a major uh, issue in the epistle. Uh, and actually, we can almost view this verse 10 as kind of the theme verse of the, the whole epistle. Uh, as a matter of fact, Paul dwells on this uh, topic now of unity for the next four chapters. Um, and uh, so it takes up a, a good chunk of that first part of the epistle. Um, so, um, you know, I guess a question comes to mind then, you know, what was their common bond? As, uh, as, uh, uh, as fellow Christians, well, namely, that was, their common bond was Christ. Mm -hmm. uh, but or should, or should be. It should be, at least, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, maybe in a way, maybe that question came up a little too soon. But... Um, <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, instead they have, you know, all these, uh, I guess you might say factions among them or divisions. Um, you know, um, just you know, with all the stuff that was going on amongst them. And uh, as we'll get later on, you know, he, he mentions, uh, you know, these groups that say they follow so-and-so. But uh, we'll get there as we go along. Well, but, but again, I, I come back to when you think about the, the different divisions within the Christian church. Yeah. I mean, think of how that's evolved over history. Well, you know, we call ourselves Lutherans, you know, because we follow the things that Luther taught. Yeah. Or there's, yeah. you know, there's, there's Calvinists or yeah. there's, you know, yeah. and, and it's like, okay, um, things really haven't changed. We tend to yeah. attach ourselves to, yeah. Yeah. to things that aren't Christ. Although, you know, we would definitely tell people that, well, Christ is the set is the center. He yeah. is, he is yeah. truly the center. Yeah. It's just we happen to wear that label because it's it's Luther's theology of Christ. You know, that yeah. he developed yeah. around that. Right. Yeah. Well, and even within Lutheranism, I mean, how many different Lutheran churches are there? Um, yeah, I guess yeah, we have. Uh, you know, I guess our church body was kind of founded. You know, after uh, you know Walther and 
uh, Leah and some of the other uh, early church fathers of the Missouri Synod. Yeah. Uh, well, then, by that by that yardstick, we could call ourselves Waltherians. Waltherians, or or, like, maybe, maybe there are people who do. I don't know. I've heard the term used <laughs> yeah, before. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, what's really changed, right? I mean, uh, I mean, there's these different factions or divisions. Um, now, maybe they're not as much of these divisive uh, issues now. Like I think, um, I think a lot of us would agree that I mean, yes, we're Christian. Uh, you know, and you know many of these other denominations we would say are uh, Christian as well, but we do view some things differently, of course. But yeah, but in, in, <laughs> but in a way, I mean, in a way, Paul is still speaking to us, like you know. Yeah, yeah. You, we should be able to agree on on more than we do. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, now, one thing I found interesting here that. Um, you know, divisions, that's the way that this translation had at the ESV. Uh, it might, could also be translated as factions, because I've already used that word here a couple times, but, um, or, oh, I wish I could remember the Greek word. It made me think of schisms, almost, like, a, mm -hmm. is, is, I think, is that the right word I'm thinking of? You know, there's a, um, you know, there's you know, kind of a barrier or a tear between us, uh, because I think the word in the original language they talked about could even refer to like a tear in a garment. Uh, I guess you're thinking of it that way. Right. It's a, it's a <laughs> yeah, it's, it's more than just different flavors of things. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a fracturing. Or, or, yeah, more of a um, fracturing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, in, in a way it's, it's like a tearing down of the church because it's broken into pieces. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess I. Yeah, that's not important. But anyways, <laughs> um, so uh, no, there should be no factions. Paul says within the congregation, um, but rather Paul urges them to patch things up or to be restored. Uh, you know, get back to that original harmonious uh, state that they had been in. Um, now, I guess in our context, you know, as a congregation, why is it important to be of the same mind and, and not have divisions? Well, the, the devil will certainly work very handily among divisions and, and you know, and do his damage there. And, and you know, I've, we've probably all been witness to that, unfortunately, of congregations yeah. that have divided uh, over, you know, any number of things. Um, and um, and that and that's always a danger, um, you know. That maybe um, they divide over uh, uh, financial, well, money issues are money often issues, I mean, yeah. it's just like just like in marriages. Yeah. I mean, a lot a lot yeah. of marriages uh, crumble just in fights over financial issues yeah. and money and yeah. things like that. But there's certainly a lot of other other reasons that a congregation would not be united. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, maybe their mission. They have two different ideas of what their mission should be, um, and um, we we always run that risk of falling prey to the devil if we just kind of think, oh well, you know, we have these divisions. It's 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 um, it's something we'll just we'll just live with. We don't we won't you know work on resolving that. Right, but kind it of let slowly it sit eat, there. Yeah, right. Yeah. It, it just gets worse and worse and, and yeah. actually tears things apart. Yeah. Yep, and you know, I guess uh, you think of you know the, as the flock of Christ. I mean, 
you know, if those sheep are scattered a little bit, it's easier for prey to. Uh, yeah, that's a, and, yeah, it's a very good analogy. Yeah, right? the, yeah, they come and uh, you know devour one of the sheep or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, to me to have a congregation that is more tight knit and closer together as a family of God uh, creates a stronger unity and bond. Yeah, and I know? and I think those are the congregations that thrive too. And well, and this has been this has been studied and measured too mm-hmm. that that the congregations that have you know fairly stable uh, they're, they're, they're just stable in terms of staffing and mission and, mm-hmm. and, and identity and all that. They tend to fare much better than those that are in, in chaos, you know, yep. some kind yep. of a, a turnover or just, just yep. internal chaos. Yeah. But we think of uh, just, you know, divisions and factions uh, right now. Um, the, you know, the, the Methodist church, you know, they're going through their, uh, you know, their uh, issues right now. Um, or you know, we had our our issues in the '70s in the Missouri Senate, and so forth. Uh, I mean, I mean, yeah. There's, uh, I think, almost every church body has dealt with its uh, kind of its factions and divisions throughout time. Yeah, we're no strangers to it. Um, which, um, you know, in a way, I think Paul is. Um, he may, he strikes me as maybe being a little overly optimistic that that just encouraging them. So this unity is, is going to be sufficient to to get the job done because I think it's just in our natures I think to just um, you know to, to debate things and maybe you know we see things differently you know? yeah yeah uh, but I think we have to realize again what the if we if we encourage that too much the danger that that lies ahead mm-hmm. yeah for sure um, uh, and then uh, going on to verse eleven here um, now. <laughs> Chloe's people, you know, that is referenced Chloe's people. Uh, at least from what I looked at, I, I couldn't find too much about who Chloe is. Um, I think this is about one of the only times that Paul references uh, Chloe. Um, I guess Chloe's people, it might have been relatives or servants of Chloe uh, who acted as Paul's informants, I guess. Um, I guess, you know, it is not indicated whether Chloe lived in Corinth or in Ephesus. Uh, that's not really given to us. Um, but I think what is more notable and more important is, is the tone Paul sets when he says that he learned these things or that these things are reported to him um, you know, by Chloe's people. Um, and actually, uh, one commentator that I read said that you know, instead, of, instead of him saying that it was reported to him, it could be translated as it was made clear to him uh, by, by Chloe's people. Um, now, I guess what the difference would be, I'd have to do some more searching on that. But it's just kind of put in a different light. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't just reported to him, but it was made clear to him that, you know, these things are going on mm-hmm. in the congregation in Corinth. But, you know, the tone that he was kind of using here was a very pastoral approach in that he was stating where he got the information from and not just going off of rumors. You know, I guess, you know, like now, if I mean, if I was to hear something and this go start spreading a rumor around, well, I mean, where did I get it from? I, I should go to that source. And, well, maybe what follows were some very specific examples of things that he heard, that, that people were saying they followed other people other than Christ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, like with all this going on, you know, he says that it was reported to him or made clear to him that there was, you know, this, this quarreling going on. There was infighting amongst the uh, people of the congregation. 
You know, for Paul to, uh, I guess, acknowledge the presence of quarreling among the people is to acknowledge that the Corinthians, just like we are, uh, that they were fleshly people. They were, they still uh, were people of their uh, their stubborn human nature, uh, kind of like you said. I mean, it's in our human nature to you know have this kind of back and forth, and I uh, forget how exactly how you worded it, Paul, but just uh, you know debate between each other of different you know ways we view things. Um, but you know they were still controlled, like I said, by their stubborn human nature, and you know it is also worth noting here that. Quirling was also listed in Paul's list of the works of the flesh in Galatians. Uh, so in Galatians 5, I have a little excerpt here I'm going to read. Uh, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rival, uh, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. So there we just kind of get another little list there. Um, and now... Well, when, you, when you say quarreling, is that is that the same Greek word was just translated differently here? That dissensions and divisions. Were yeah, the, that might be were, a, yeah. Were the equivalent, uh, maybe in, in, in a different translation. Yeah, I think uh, yeah, the, the translation might be a little different here in this book. Yeah, but yeah, so I mean, just like us, uh, they were still tied to their sinful nature, their human nature, and uh, you know, that uh, easily tears us apart. Yeah, and that list from Galatians. Um, I mean, normally there's some of those things you wouldn't you wouldn't um, you wouldn't lump together. You know, a lot of us would would agree about you know uh, sexual immorality being well. You know, there's a there's a, a, a work of the flesh right there. Yeah, yeah. But when we think about divisions and dissensions, yeah, I think yeah. we've become so accustomed to the idea that we can we can hold different opinions among each other. Yeah, yeah. And it's and it's uh, it's an acceptable thing. Maybe that isn't the way to look at it. It's, I think it's just a necessary part of human nature, but it, it really isn't the most desirable thing. And maybe that's what Paul is getting at, is that the goal is really to, to, to be in unity, to work towards that, even though it's a very difficult goal. Very difficult goal, yeah. yeah. You know, I guess, you know, think of us in our context now, especially now with the, uh, the last decade of the social media and stuff, it's easier to, with, I mean, not just religious things, but... Also, other things just uh, have differing you know, uh, opinions and almost have these factions of uh, different views on other things too. So right. we're used we, to this. Yeah, we, yeah we've, I think we've learned that we just we can just retreat into our own box and yeah. our own echo yeah. chamber, and yeah. and we're safe there because everybody agrees with us. But then right. we, we fail to realize what's happening outside of us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like you said, it's, uh, what really what Paul is probably getting to here is this goal of this unity. But now with this idea of, of factions and divisions, um, in verse 12, uh, he has this list of, uh, I, I like this word I ran across, the egotism in Corinth. Um, you know, you know, you know, so there's four times there's this, you know, I belong to Paul. I belong to Apollos. I belong to Cephas, or rather Peter, that would be. But then uh, lastly, uh, I belong to Christ. Um, uh, in the Greek, uh, this I would be ego. <laughs> uh, you know, I. Uh, so it's just kind of this, kind of this ego mentality, this, you know, I, 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 and so forth. But, you know, these leaders that he mentions are, you know, clearly didn't initially plan to, 
you know, set these, you know, and, or intend to attract loyalty to themselves, but it was just these groups from within Corinth uh, would kind of attach themselves to them. And, and that, again, is probably just a, a human nature. I think when we, when we meet people or run across people that we perceive are, are strong leaders, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's engaging and we're, and we're drawn to that, yeah. you know, yeah. and it's just, it's just our nature. Right, yeah. Um, yeah, you think of in a congregation, in the history of a congregation, there still might be, you know, past pastors are still talked about a lot. Uh, you know, my home congregation, we still have a former pastor that we still <laughs> uh, reference all the time. You know, he was uh, our pastor for 20 years, but kind of the, the same thing maybe here. Um, but now, uh, I guess, with this kind of list here that he gave, uh, you know, Paul, he was the first missionary. Uh, Apollo's teaching could have been more advanced than Paul's, but then Peter was often associated with the Jewish origins of the faith. Um, so that just kind of gives a context and background on these three uh, groups, uh, people, uh, people that, that they had followed. But then, uh, lastly but not least, he, he, he starts with himself, which he would, would consider the least important, but then he ends with Christ, mm -hmm. uh, who would be the most important in this list. Yeah, it's, it's an important, um, the, the way he structures his argument is just, it's just <laughs> so smart. And you yeah, know, he does yeah, his it. rhetorical, yeah, yeah. His, his rhetorical devices. That, yeah, that, yeah. And then he makes sure that, that he ends with Christ. Yeah, yeah. Um, well then, yeah, even just with you know, his rhetorical skills, you know, he has in verse 13, these uh, rhetorical questions. <laughs> um, I, I'm going to read through those again if I can get my finger to flip the paper here. Um, you know, was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Uh, I mean, these are all rhetorical questions he's asking. Um, you know, he is driving home the point here that loyalty to him uh, is misplaced, but rather that he is only a messenger or a servant. Um, but then he uh, goes on and uh, talks about that, you know, he thanks God that he had only baptized a couple of people, uh, uh, because then people couldn't say that they were baptized uh, you know, in, in Paul's name mm -hmm. or anything. Mm -hmm. um, and one thing I find interesting is in verse 16, uh, he kind of had, well, the translators through the years have added these brackets. You know, I, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Uh, beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. So he's kinda, uh, kind of admitting here he has a bad memory. <laughs> uh, but uh, I think more important to Paul is the fact that um, that they were baptized into Christ, not that you know, he had baptized them. Yeah. Well, the people that those those people that he kind of forgot <laughs> might may not be that flattered by his letter, but uh, but uh, but yeah, the point the point was made is that that's that's not the important thing. Yeah, that's not the important thing. Yeah. Um, oh, let's see. Verse seventeen, uh, Paul emphasizes. Um, you know, that he was, uh, uh, I guess, sent to preach at the plant congregations. Uh, you know, in, in, baptizing wasn't his main uh, goal of his ministry. It was to preach and to plant. Um, but then he says that he did not do this with eloquent words. Um, so in a way, he's kind of, I don't know, may have thrown himself under the bus here a little bit. Well, it's, it's, it's <laughs> these are, these are self-deprecating comments. Yeah, they uh, are. Yeah. Which they need, need to be. Um, 
I mean, because when you think about the Great Commission, go therefore and baptize, I mean, certainly he knew those words. They were, yeah. you know, those were the words of Christ. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, but they, you know, he's, he's trying to make the point here that, that it's not like, oh, I'm the, I'm the, the first and the best, you know, to baptize anybody as a representative of Christ. That's not really what this is all about. No, yeah. Um, and then uh, this our, uh, our last verse here. Uh, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are preaching. Uh, but, uh, let's see, but to, to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Um, so here, uh, this is kind of key for the letter, that, you know, that the gospel preaches righteousness and gives a spirit. Um, you know, those who uh, see only foolishness in the cross deny its power to save from eternal destruction. Um, but uh, for, again, then for those of us who believe, it is the power, uh, power of God. Well, and for his listeners, um, who would have been mixed, right? It would have been Jews and Gentiles. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So I think it would it would it would mean something to both of those groups mm -hmm. that that the message of the cross is is um, uh, for yeah. It, it doesn't make sense to those who who don't put Christ at the center of everything. Right. Yeah. Uh, I guess just to sum things up here. I, uh, I guess you know this whole purpose of uh, this portion of Paul's letter and of First Corinthians in general is this unity of Christ. Uh, that as God's people united in Him and under that one baptism of Christ, uh, that He does that Christ does reign among us, uh, and that uh, He He makes us His. When and given that, as you noted before that that. He, he continues on this theme for the first four. You said the first four chapters of yeah, Corinthians? Yeah, four chapters, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's quite a chunk of, of an epistle um, that, that we'll hear more of this idea, you know, as we, as we go through with Corinthians. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, with, with that in mind, uh, Paul, uh, what hymn did you pick for us this week? Well, it's a hymn that uh, might... Uh, take some of us back to the Christmas season, and we're not that far away from the Christmas season. Um, it's actually located in our hymnal in the Epiphany section. So if you have a copy of the Lutheran service book, we're looking at hymn 412. Uh, 412, the people that in darkness sat. Um, and this, this hymn is built around our Old Testament reading for this coming Sunday. And you, you noted that um, there's a lot of symbolism about light in there, and it ties into. It's it's also quoted in our gospel for this coming yeah. Sunday. So we yeah. so we get we get hit with it on both ends of the readings there. And if you've um, if you never noticed that the way the readings or the lectionary are put together, that's very often the case that that the Old Testament very clearly has some connection to the gospel reading. Mm -hmm and that the psalm is often a bridge between those two. And, and this Sunday, that certainly does apply. Our, our psalm is Psalm 27, which starts out, uh, the Lord is my light and my salvation. So again, there's that theme of light. light. Yeah. And, um, and you're going to focus on that this Sunday? Yeah, yeah. With, uh, I was thinking about just about this, uh, uh, you know, this time of year. It's such a dark time of year. Um, you know, the Christmas lights are down and everything. Uh, I would really like to kind of talk about this light. Yeah. Uh, that well, we, uh, 
Yeah, N not all of them. We've left a few of our, our plain white bulbs up. And, and I noticed yeah. some of our neighbors have too. And I think um, I, I've noticed over the years that more and more people will leave just a few lights on just yeah. to yeah. just to chase away the, the, the darkness. Because yeah, the days are still relatively short in January. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and I think people like that. Well, and then there's, for, for that matter, there's some people that just leave them leave them on a year round. Yeah, like I noticed my neighbor across my driveway still has their Christmas tree lights on. Um, I, I took my tree down just to kind of get back into a little, uh, um, just a regular uh, schedule and everything, but I did leave lights on that uh, front uh, hedge in front of the house. So if you ever come by the house on your way to church at night, you can see I still have a few lights on too. Um. Back to the hymn, uh, uh, the hymn, uh, the people that in darkness sat, uh, we, we did sing this during the Christmas season. I, I know we, it, it appeared at the uh, children's, the Sunday school program, and then uh, it was in, it was in one of the, the Christmas Eve services. We had four on Christmas Eve, and it, and it did, did appear in one of them, um, because uh, this was one of the readings that we heard on Christmas as well. It's one of the, one of the uh, in one of the sets that that's an option for Christmas Eve. There's there's a set for Christmas Eve, and then there's a separate set of readings for Christmas midnight, Christmas Eve midnight. Uh, one of them has the Christmas story that we all know from Luke two, and then um, what we've done is is kind of uh, mix those two together. We've used the the Old Testament and the Epistle from one set, and then paired it with the with the Christmas reading because people expect to hear the, the Christmas story, the Luke 2 reading on Christmas. Yeah. And so this, this uh, hymn was originally uh, a hymn paraphrase of this passage from Isaiah, that is Isaiah 9, um, which uh, um, be, begins with, you know, the people that have, have been in darkness have seen a great light. Yeah. And it's, it's literally pulled right out there in the first stanza of this hymn. The people that in darkness sat, a glorious light have seen. I thought it was interesting that in the original version of this hymn, it was phrased this way, the race that long in darkness pined, which il helps illustrate how language changed over yeah, time. Yeah. Now that, that goes back to 1781 when, um, when John Morrison originally wrote this. And apparently there were a, a couple of... Um, uh, phrases in there that were just kind of jarring and 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 over time uh, this this hymn was heavily edited in fact there were there was a there were two phrases in there i i i noticed in the uh, research on this uh, one was there was a mention of the the slaughtered squadrons and the shrieks of woe um, those are expressions you probably wouldn't find very welcome in a in an epiphany or christmas hymn no. <laughs> him, uh, even though they do reflect, uh, you know, some sentiment that's found in Isaiah there, um, it's just kind of jarring. Uh, and, and maybe his, his poetry was maybe a little bit too, too honest, maybe a little too brutal in, in some senses of the word. So it was heavily edited over the years uh, until we get to the version that appeared in the Hymns Ancient and Modern. Now, the Hymns Ancient and Modern was this, this monument uh, um, of English hymnody from the 19th century, where the okay. best, the best of the hymns in, in the English language were collected, and um, 
it's certainly something that we stand on the shoulders, you know, all modern hymnals certainly stand on the shoulders of, that that's, that's where they were all collected. And in that version, we have a translation that's pretty close to what we have here and that we use, use in our hymnal. Um, one of the phrases that they changed in our hymnal that to me was kind of a disappointment is in the beginning of stanza three, where it says, to us a child of hope is born. Originally they're read, for unto us a child is born. And I like that because it reminds me of the, the King James version. The King version. James version, King, yeah. And, and, and then right out of the Messiah, which is what uh, uh, Handel was working from, that's, that's the phrase that's in our ears, for yeah. unto us a child is born. So why they changed that, I have no idea. I, I, I think that's a, <laughs> an unfortunate choice, but, but nevertheless, they did. Did it, I mean, with the music, did it flow a little better, do you think? Or? I would say no, but, no. That's, but that's just me. <laughs> but it's probably a word order thing. They're yeah, trying to update yeah, the, yeah. the language a little bit. Um, and and so, so things like that creep in. So would it have been the other translation, like in 1941 with the Lutheran hymnal then? Uh, yeah, I believe it was worded that way in the, in the old It was, the older okay. Hymnal. Yeah. okay. Yeah, because this was a change made just for our current hymnal. For the current hymnal, LSB. okay. So, um, yeah, um, I, I, it's one of those things that I would take issue with. Um, it's, it's interesting because I was talking, we were talking uh, in choir last night about word order and, and, and these unusual verb tenses that yeah. came up in one of the anthems. And, and to some in the choir, it made perfect sense because it was, a very poetic use of a, of a verb tense. And then others in the choir disagreed. They said, no, it's, it's unclear. I, it, it's unclear what's happening right here. And, you know, again, <laughs> we're not in unity, but, you know, yeah. at least we can debate the idea of yeah, you know, right. which way yeah. it should be. Yeah. But um, I think that's maybe a, a problem in older poetry is that sometimes mm. we just don't, don't appreciate the, the rhythm and the sound of it. Right. And those yeah. older verb tenses. Yeah, yeah. Um, but when you mem memorize it one way, certainly you you, know, you become very attached to it. Yeah, and for me, it sticks for that me, way. Yeah, yeah, for me, yeah. Um, you know, for unto us a child is born makes makes a lot more sense. Mm -hmm. There isn't a lot, a whole lot that we know about the author um, uh, John Morrison, other than he was he was a, a priest in the Church of England. Um, we know a little bit more about the composer Nicholas Hermann, and Nicholas. Hermann wrote this particular melody. The melody is called Lob Gott ihr Christen, or Praise God, You Christians. Um, and it's paired to another hymn in the hymnal, which you probably know is in the Christmas section. It's Let All Together Praise Our God. Um, Let all together praise our God. Da, 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 da. That's, it's, it's the same tune as, as, as this one. And, and he wrote both of them together. He wrote both the text and, and uh, the tune. So kind of like Luther, you know, he, he uh, matched those two very well together. And the nice thing, he, he was thinking about what, what is really going to emphasize that particular text. So it was written to go with that other text, let all together praise our God. And in the original German, it, 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 um, the high notes of the melody emphasize the important words like uh, Christian and all. Um, and that doesn't necessarily happen when you add a different text or even when you translate it into English. Yeah. All of a sudden things have a different, uh, a different emphasis. Um, but it does, it does match this, the, the sentiment of this, um, 
uh, uh, you know, the, just the overall mood of this text. And that's important. If you have a, a hymn that, that um, you know, it's maybe kind of dark and in character, uh, but the words of the hymn are kind of kind of light and sunny, it really, that's kind of jarring. It doesn't fit together. Right. Um, you know, maybe one, one example of that is um, um, uh, let all mortal flesh keep, or not let all mortal flesh keep silence. Uh, Logie comes with clouds descending. In the LW hymnal, it was paired with that same tune as, as let all mortal flesh. Um, and it wasn't a good pairing for a lot of different reasons. Um, the first one being that um, uh, first phrases, um, um, Lo, he comes with clouds descending, but you're ascending in melody. So it's a, <laughs> a little weird for that reason. Yeah. But now we sing it with that other melody. Lo, he comes with clouds descending. Yeah, yeah. descending yeah. goes yeah. down to the bottom. <laughs> Plus it's a, it's a, I think it's just a better pairing of the mood of the text and the mood of the melody. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's really important. Um, this text um, was, as I pointed out, originally a seven stanza paraphrase of Isaiah 9, which is our Old Testament reading. And um, the, um, the text or the, the, the hymn has been cut down to six. Well, it's cut down to five stanzas. There's, there's two more that, that kind of got left behind that, that um, uh, we don't, it, it, it's not as, as essential to the message of the hymn. And then a doxological stanza or a praise stanza, you know, acknowledging the Father, Son, and, and Holy Spirit was added at the end. And you may notice there, um, there's the little triangle there on, mm -hmm. on stanza mm -hmm. six, which in a lot of Lutheran circles means if you're sitting down, it's time to stand up and sing that last stanza. The Trinity is being proclaimed. Yeah, yeah. yeah, right, because it's a Trinitarian stanza. Yeah. Um, I don't know the origins of that. Um, and I know there's a lot of places that, that follow that custom. We don't do it here because typically we're, standing we're still already. already standing for yeah. hymns, which to me is the preferable way to go because you sing much better. I Everybody sings singing, much better. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I know in a lot of places they... Um, they, they choose to sit for the hymns and, and yeah. uh, they may or may not observe that custom of standing for the doxological stanza. Yeah. Um, back to uh, Nicholas Herman, the um, composer of the tune. He worked at a, um, uh, he was a cantor and uh, uh, it was in the, in the town of, um, It, it was on the border. It was on the border of um, Germany and Czechoslovakia. So in, it was in Bohemia. So it was right on the border. They're one of the few Lutheran places that had kind of slipped over, you know, into that area. And he was the cantor there. And a lot of the, the texts he wrote were for use with the students and for home devotions. And that shouldn't surprise us. This is from the period of the 16th century, because we. We tend to take our lens of, of how we use hymns in modern times and think, well, everybody, everybody used hymns that way and that's, you know, that's how it was from the, the time they even came from. Um, uh, that's not true. If you look at the way Luther wrote hymns and what he wrote them for, it was for, for teaching and for use yeah. in the home, yeah. for devotional reasons. We think, oh, well, you know, they wrote hymns because they needed hymns on this particular 
topic or subject for use in church. Um, because I would say probably the majority of us now, that's the only place we, we use hymns. In church, yeah. Yeah. Is, is in church, uh, you know, to amplify the themes of the day or, or even traveling music, getting in, <laughs> getting out. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, but their purpose was much different. It was for, it was for teaching um, and, and for devotional purposes. And so he, he wrote about 200 hymns for that specific reason, and uh, much like Martin Luther. Um, but he would have been, you know, a couple, couple uh, well, about a generation later than, than Martin Luther, so not that far removed from him. But uh, yeah, taking, taking, that, taking Lutheranism to that corner of, uh, of Bohemia, uh, and you don't think of, of, of the Czech Republic as being that, you know, that Lutheran. German or Lutheran. Yeah. But there's certainly places where, you know, those borders were very fluid um, for so many centuries. Yeah. Um, for example, there's, a, there's a, you know, a, lot of, a lot of Germans that are in you know, Polish-speaking areas or what are now Poland, and that border uh, uh, floated back and forth, yeah. you know, many times over the course of history. Um, so for, uh, for us today, why don't we sing um, stanza one, certainly, because it talks about the idea of light and darkness, and that's going to be the emphasis of your, your sermon on Sunday. Um, let's, do, and, yeah, let's do stanza four, because that one is, gives that list of the, the other names for Christ that I think we, we, we recall from this reading on, on Christmas, the Prince of Peace, the everlasting Lord. Yeah. Um, at least that always sticks with me. Yeah, that would be later on in in the, this chapter. Of yeah, Isaiah. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. That, Not that the passage probably, we get this Sunday. Not this Sunday, but yeah, doesn't include yeah. that part. But yeah, it, again, the, the the hymn was cast to be a paraphrase of the entire chapter nine, yeah. not just yeah. not just the portion, because we only get the first. I guess the only the first four, four verses. Verses. Yeah. 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 So so a shorter shorter portion of it than we heard on Christmas Eve. Um, well, and let's, let's throw stanza three in there, even though I don't like what they did to that, that first phrase or that, the way they changed it. Um, we'll, we'll sing one, three, and four. One, three, and four. The people that in darkness sat a glorious light have seen the light has shined on them who long in shades of death have been, in shades of death have been. To us a child of hope is born, to us a son is given, and on his shoulder ever rests all power in earth and heaven. All power in earth and heaven. His name shall be the Prince of Peace, the Everlasting Lord, the Wonderful, the Counselor, the God by all adored, the God by all adored. O Lord, have mercy upon us. O Christ, have mercy upon us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, 
as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Blessed Lord, you have caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant that we may so hear them, read, mark, learn, and take them to heart, that by the patience and comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, bless and preserve us. Amen. Please join us for worship this weekend. Our worship opportunities are at 8 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. on Sunday, and on Mondays at 6.30 p.m.